If you do have a Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open it to John chapter 6. Uh, we've been in John chapter 6 for a couple of weeks already. We looked at the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 just a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we looked at the, the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. And most of the rest of John chapter 6, which is a long chapter, revolves around sort of the unpacking of the first of those miracles. Jesus' miraculous provision of the food for 5,000 hungry people. And it is against that backdrop that Jesus will say in verse 35 of this chapter, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, if you are familiar with John's gospel, then you will know that this is one of Jesus' I am statements. There are seven of them, plus the usually overlooked one uh, earlier in chapter 6 that Sam pointed out last week. But in John chapter 8, in the middle of a feast where thousands of lanterns were lit around the city, Jesus stands up in the middle of that feast. It says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Later in that same chapter, Jesus will say, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that I am hearkens all the way back to Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush, where Moses said, you know, when they say, who has sent me, what is your name? And God says, I am. Then in chapter 10, we find two more of these I am statements. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then he follows that up by saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Chapter 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. And as Jesus seeks to comfort one of his grieving sisters, he says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And then the last of the I am statements is what Jesus says to Thomas in John chapter 14, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the great I am. And each of those statements is worthy of exploration on their own. But the one we're exploring this morning is the first of them. And just as a bit of a heads up, we're actually going to take two passes at this section in John chapter 6. One this morning and one next week. So it's going to mess up your booklets and all of that. But this morning we're focusing on Jesus' I am statement. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is one of those declarations by Jesus that is both simple and profound. There is truth that we can grasp right away, and there's truth here that we need to spend the rest of our lives exploring. So let me read for you John chapter 6, and I'm just going to read verses 22 to verse 40. This is God's word, and it says this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. 
Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, But raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, as I was thinking about this passage, and Jesus claimed that he is the bread of life, and that whoever comes to him will never be hungry, and whoever uh, believes in him shall never thirst... My mind went back to an old uh, A&W commercial. And uh, in that commercial, there's a couple. They are walking down the street together after returning from a fancy dinner out somewhere. They're dressed up. Their small talk reveals that this is probably their first date. And the man is dropping his date off at her vehicle. It could be a romantic moment. Maybe he's going to lean in for a kiss. But then she says... I'm still hungry. Do you want to grab a burger? It's pretty much what every guy hopes for after they've taken their date out for a fancy dinner. Let's go slam some teen burgers and chug some root beer, right? The point of the commercial, I think, was that sometimes even what is billed as the best of meals still leaves us unsatisfied. And I think we can all identify with that. We all have experience with this, even when we enjoy a great meal. So I'm not a foodie. My tastes are actually pretty simple, but I know a good meal when I taste one. Now, Ilona is a good cook, but there is something special about going out for a gourmet meal once in a while. We did it this past week for Valentine's Day. We do it every year on our anniversary We try to pick a different restaurant every year. It's the one time of the year where we look at the menu, but don't even bother to look at the prices, right? We even order dessert. I mean, we basically just spend two hours in the restaurant making googly eyes at each other. We we kind of savor every bite. 
But do you know what happens without fail the very next day? I get hungry again. Now, now mentally, I can live off of that meal for a couple of weeks, but physically, I get hungry the very next day. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, part of the accessibility of that statement is that hunger is a universal human experience. We all get hungry and bread is such a basic necessity. The great Greek scholar Bruce Metzger once pointed out that Jesus didn't say, I am the cake of life. Now, he could have said that, but he didn't say it because we can make it without cake. Had Jesus lived in Asia, he might have said, I'm the rice of life. Had Jesus been addressing a group of celiacs, he might have said, I'm the the beans of life or something like that. Just necessity. You need me to survive is what Jesus is saying. Now, that's a pretty audacious claim. You can't make it without me. So I want to make three observations from this passage. The first one is simply that we often seek satisfaction in the wrong things and in the wrong ways. So the background to this passage is, of course, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. You know the story, this huge crowd comes to Jesus. They want to hear his teaching, but they've got no food except this little boy who has five loaves of bread and two small fish. And Jesus takes the little that that boy has, miraculously feeds the entire crowd. Now, the number of people in the crowd that day was probably more like 15,000 since it says there were 5,000 men in the crowd. It's an amazing miracle. It's different than some of the healing miracles Jesus did. With healing miracles, Jesus takes what is broken and restores it. But here he simply takes this food and he multiplies it. It's no wonder people often said, who is this? But instead of sticking around for a repeat performance the next day, Jesus secretly crosses over to the other side of the sea at night. And the next morning, the crowd figures out what has happened. They come looking for Jesus. They find him and they ask him a question in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus is not really, doesn't really seem to be one for small talk, right? He doesn't say, well, you know what? I came over, it's about 3 a.m. And, and I've been here and got a little nap this morning. Instead, he answers like this in verses 26 and 27. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. He knows exactly why they've crossed the sea. They don't so much want him as what he can give them. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was more than a miracle. It was a sign, as John tells us. That means that it was designed to point to something beyond itself. But all the crowd was interested at this point was the food. Give us more of this bread. So Jesus tells them not to waste their efforts pursuing things that don't last, but to pursue that which endures to eternity. 
I think it's important to remember that the bread they were seeking was a good thing. I mean, Jesus was the one who gave it to them in the first place. He saw the crowd. He had compassion on them because they had nothing to eat. And he gave them bread. But now he says, do not labor for food that perishes. And there's a lot we can learn from that. I mean, at the most basic level, we can see how easy it is to seek the gift instead of the giver. It's basically what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, where he says, you know, they, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the created things rather than the creator. And this is what we can do. We can turn good things into ultimate things. But there's a problem with that. This is what I mean by saying that we often seek satisfaction in the wrong things. So obviously, this is an I am passage. We're going to learn something about Jesus, but we also learn something about ourselves. And the first thing we learn, or one of the things we learn, is that we are earthly creatures who can only be satisfied by heavenly food. So part of the problem with earthly bread is that it perishes. This is why the crowd comes looking for Jesus. They experienced this great miracle where Jesus fed them, their bellies were satisfied, but now it's the next day they're hungry again. Now, the context here was literal bread. I mean, literal food is what they were working for. But the truth of what Jesus is saying is for all of life. Don't work for bread or food that perishes. Nothing in this world can satisfy us in an ultimate sense. Because it's all just temporary. It's all bread that perishes. It's all subject to the laws of diminishing returns. Maybe it satisfies us for a day or for a week or a month or even a couple years. But eventually it perishes. Expecting bread that perishes to satisfy us in an ultimate sense will lead to crushing disappointment. It was not meant to do that. So we've lived in the same house for 21 years. We've raised four kids in our home. And before you start thinking mansion... Uh, We live in a 1,500-square-foot rancher. It's been tight at times, most of the time. But our saving grace has been that we also have a garage. Now, we don't park our cars in the garage. We put flooring down. We installed a heater. We hung a TV on the wall. There's a sofa bed, a couple chairs, a couple desks, exercise equipment, jackets, and a whole lot of shoes, mostly my shoes. We use it as our everything-else room. And that room has been used for everything from homeschooling to volleyball matches on our knees to arts and crafts to a guest room. We use it to store everything that doesn't fit in the house. And I feel like we are always cleaning and reorganizing the garage. And it was a few years back that Ilona said to me, do you think the problem with the garage is that we expect it to do too much for us? That's actually a problem with bread that perishes. See, there's no way that one room can meet all of the expectations we have for it, and we will experience the same thing when we expect bread that perishes, food that perishes, temporary stuff to satisfy us in an ultimate sense. And the reason those things cannot satisfy us is because they were not designed to. Daryl Johnson comments on this verse by saying this. He says, No earthly bread can meet the deepest longings and cravings of the human person. 
None of the stuff we clamor to own and keep finally satisfies us. We are too gloriously constituted for stuff to fill us. This is a fact made graphically clear in the wealthy parts of the world, in our part of the world, where we have all of the stuff anyone could ever want and are still hungry. See, that describes our world. And we all have experience with this. We've all put our hope in something or someone and thought, now I'll be happy, now I'll be satisfied. Only to be disappointed later. Now, I know I'm not telling you anything new. You hear this kind of thing all the time. But I think it's here where we often make a critical mistake. We experience disappointment with food that perishes. And instead of allowing that to drive us to Jesus... We just seek satisfaction in some other food that perishes. So if our career isn't giving us what we think we need to be satisfied, then maybe the stuff it allows us to buy will. If our marriage isn't fulfilling all of our desires, maybe we need a new relationship. See, but the truth is, all of that is bread that perishes it won't ultimately fulfill us because it wasn't designed to. One of the most convicting verses for me personally in all of scripture is Jeremiah 2.13. And there it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that is how so many of us live. Instead of seeking and finding our satisfaction in the only inexhaustible source, we seek satisfaction in these broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's an older movie, but when I think about this picture of broken cisterns that can't hold water, I think of a scene from the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, or movies. One of the pirates is drinking a bottle of wine, but because he's actually already dead, just a skeleton beneath his clothes, it just kind of pours right through him. And that is the way so many people live. They've got these broken cisterns. They keep filling them up. They keep leaking. Trying to satisfy ourselves in that way will never work. C.S. Lewis said it like this. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Jesus says it this way here. Do not labor for bread that perishes. So there is an alternative to this. Listen to what God himself tells us through the prophet Isaiah. He said, come, everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. We know where we need to turn. And that was undoubtedly in Jesus' mind as he said, do not labor for bread or for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. So if you find yourself constantly hungry, constantly craving, it's probably because you're eating at the wrong table. You're wearing yourself out 
for food that perishes. We are earthly creatures who can only be satisfied with heavenly food. There's more to this idea of seeking satisfaction in the wrong things, in the wrong ways. What I would say here is that we actually need a new understanding of what it means to be in relationship with God. So Jesus tells the crowd, look, stop seeking food that perishes. Start seeking food that endures to eternal life. He tells them he can give them this food. Then look what happens in verses 28 and 29. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The the, the crowd's instinctive reaction is to say, well, what work do we need to do to get this kind of eternal food? They're they're like, look, Jesus, just tell us what we need to do, what meetings we need to show up at, what hoops we have to jump through, what boxes we need to check, and we'll do it. We can work for it. Back in 2018, Domino's Pizza in Russia ran a short-lived promotional campaign. They offered any customer who got a tattoo of the Domino's logo in a visible place 100 free pizzas per year for 100 years. So basically free pizza for life. All you had to do was get a tattoo and hundreds of people started showing up at Domino's Pizza in Russia, freshly inked with the Domino's logo. They had to cancel the promotion less than a week into it. So many people wanted to take advantage of it. Following Jesus would be easy if all we needed to do was get a tattoo, right? Just just show us what to do. Just tell me, what what, what thing do I need to do so I can have eternal life? And Jesus' response is unsettling. You want to know what work you need to do? Believe in me. Now, that sounds too simple, doesn't it? This is all we have to do? I mean, that sounds even easier than getting a tattoo. But what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, we actually need to keep reading to find out. I'm going to jump ahead to verses 53 to 58. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. What on earth does that mean? Eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood? Is this cannibalism? Is this communion? Just take communion and you'll live forever? I mean, that's the Roman Catholic understanding, or at least part of it. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. What He's talking about is an ongoing, active trust in Him. And food is a great analogy. We need to go back to Jesus again and again, just like we do with food and drink. 
To believe in Jesus is to recognize our utter dependence on him for salvation. It's nothing we do. It's what he has done in the giving of his life for us. Well, there's a second truth that we see in this passage. And that is that it's possible to live in close proximity to what we need, but still starve. So the dialogue continues in verses 30 to 35. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never Thirst. So the crowd rightly compares what Jesus did with feeding the 5,000 with God's miraculous provision of manna for the people in the wilderness as they wandered. They're like, okay, look, Jesus, what you did yesterday was impressive. Those fish sandwiches were great. But when Moses was our leader, there was bread from heaven every day for 40 years. Can you top that? And it's then that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, that's quite a statement, isn't it? It's quite a statement, but is it true? Is it true that the person who comes to Jesus never hungers for anything more? Never thirsts for anything more? I mean, experientially, I think we would all have to say there are times where we still do hunger and crave things and thirst, not just hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Maybe it's just me. So what does it mean to say that the person who comes to Jesus and believes in Jesus will never hunger and never thirst? And the way I would answer that is to say that we need to come to Jesus once and feast on him the rest of our lives. See, coming to Jesus, believing in him changes everything. It reorients our lives. It means you stop chasing satisfaction in things that will never ultimately satisfy the cravings of your soul. And there's a sense in which that's a one-time event. There's a decisive moment where we place our faith in Jesus. But there's also an ongoing sense to this. Again, Jesus' words are, whoever comes to me, shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Both of those verbs are in the present tense, which means what they designate is ongoing or continual action. So I'll give you an example in English. When Ilona says to me, Lee, could you please put your socks in the laundry hamper? What does she mean by that? Like, could you do it once? Is that what she's asking? Or does she mean, look, whenever you take your socks off, can you not throw them on the floor? And can you put them in the laundry hamper? That's the one she's after, I'm pretty sure. That's the ongoing, continual action. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Whoever keeps coming to me, whoever keeps putting their trust and believing in me, that's the person 
who never hungers and never thirsts for anything more. So if you find yourself constantly hungering after all the things the world has to offer, it should tell you something about the state of your spiritual life. Again, Daryl Johnson is helpful. He puts it this way. He says, when we find ourselves empty and hungering too much for the bread that perishes, it likely means we have fallen out of the habit of the keep coming. Keep coming to Jesus. Now again, I think we know this, but it's amazing how easy it is to forget it. That's why I said it's possible to live in close proximity to what we need and still starve. The bread of life was right before them. The bread of life is right before us. Now, some of you have grown up in the church and you've heard the gospel message countless times. Have you made it your own? Others of you have to think back or you think back to a time in the past when you say, oh, I was really close to God back then. But you've stopped coming to him. This is why even those who are active in the church can can become like the baker who starved to death. The food's there. They're just not partaking. And I know I've shared this with you before, but at one time I used to deliver bottled water for a living. I worked for Canadian Springs, delivering five-gallon jugs of water all over the city. And on one occasion, in the middle of the summer, it was during one of the heat waves that we rarely get here, kind of like the one this last summer, where I remember I was out in Mission in a residential route. There was no you know, stores around for miles, nothing kind of to, to stop at. I was just, it was near the end of the day. I was so parched, dehydrated, hadn't had anything to drink all day. Pulled up to a customer's house and he was outside watering his his garden or some shrubbery out there. And I just said, hey, would you mind if I just took a drink from your garden hose? He's like, yeah, go ahead. And as I'm drinking, he said, you know, you know, you have a truck full of water, right? (laughs) Hadn't thought about that once all day. And sometimes that's how it is. I mean, the bread of life is there. We're just not partaking of it. And some of you might be experiencing that very thing in your lives right now. I mean, spiritually, you're anemic. Could it be it's because you've basically pushed away from the table? You've stopped coming to Jesus? You've stopped actively trusting in him? Jesus says something very similar in John 15. It's another of the I am sayings. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So you need to abide. You need to remain in Jesus. You need to keep coming. You need to keep believing every day. If you want a powerful picture of what this looks like when you don't do it, you can jump ahead a little bit to the end of chapter 6. Listen to verses 66 to 71. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? 
Simon Peter answered him, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know you, that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. There's a great contrast between Peter and Judas. Now, we all know Peter was up and down. He was hot and cold. But the difference between Peter and Judas was that Peter considered the alternatives, right? Where am I going to go? You're the source of life. He knew there was no life apart from Jesus. Judas didn't understand that. He thought the coins he would get in exchange for betraying Jesus was all he needed to be satisfied. So keep coming. Third thing I want to highlight in this passage is that Jesus is more than enough. So what exactly is Jesus offering when he says, I'm the bread of life? Well, let me quickly highlight four things, and I'll go through this really quick. The first thing Jesus offers is what we need to survive. We've already touched on this, but in the ancient world, you simply could not survive without bread. Jesus is saying that a relationship with him is more important than your next meal. You can have physical life without Jesus, but you cannot experience the abundant life he promised apart from him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Secondly, Jesus offers not only what we need to survive, but also what we need to be satisfied. And this is the meaning of whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The great French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal once said, all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, that they cannot stay quietly in their own chamber. And his point was that there is a restlessness, there is a discontent that pervades the human soul. We're constantly looking for something else, trying to find satisfaction in this thing or that thing or that thing over there. And as long as we're chasing it, we'll never be content. But when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we come to a place where we can finally stop our searching and our striving. As Augustine put it, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Jesus offers what we need to be satisfied. We can stay home in our chamber and not need anything else. Thirdly, Jesus offers all that we lost in the fall. Now, I'll just explain this one a little bit, but if you've been around Crossridge for any length of time, then you know that we often remind you that the Bible is one big story from beginning to end. It can be summarized under the headings of creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. That's the arc of the Bible. Think about the big story of the Bible in relation to this passage. Jesus says that he is the bread of life. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. So verse 51, a little bit later, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now, what we lost in the fall was access to the tree of life. We covered that back in September. Genesis 3 says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden 
of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Bread of life, tree of life. I think there's a connection. Do you see what Jesus has opened to us? God said to Adam and Eve, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you will surely die. And Jesus says, eat from the bread of life. Eat this bread and you will surely live. Fourth thing to understand when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, is to remember that he offers us himself. Jesus' invitation is not come to a new set of principles, come to a new religious system. He doesn't say, I'm the baker of the bread or even I'm the giver of the bread, but he says, I am the bread of life. Find your satisfaction in me, in a relationship with me. Now, I know many of you, maybe most of you have done that. You've placed your faith in Jesus. You have come to Jesus. You believe in Jesus. Maybe some of you haven't. And if you haven't, I want to encourage you. That's the step you need to take. The psalmist says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus. Keep believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for this gracious invitation from Jesus that if we will come to him, if we will believe in him and place our trust in him, we shall not hunger, we shall never thirst. God, would you help us to experience the satisfaction you made us for. May may we find it in you and in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.